Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Yo, what's up, Sam? How you doing, man? I am good. I'm good. Out here in snowy-ass Jackson, Wyoming, but it is it's good, I man. know, man. It feels nice to be out in the mountains right now. Got the, this like beard coming in extra. Right yeah, yeah. I know. Man. I was noticing that during the interview. I was like, look at this man. He looking like he, looking like he belongs out in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's good. I mean, I, I got a, a nice little, little Beards episode of The Beards today with our guest Jordan Curland. Uh, <laughs> who we got on, man? Uh, Jordan Curland is the founding partner of Brilliant Corners Artist Management. I'm sure you guys have probably heard of some of his artists. Uh, Death Cab for Cutie, Postal Service, uh, Tour Imwa, Best Coast, Soccer Mommy, um, and the list goes on and on. So, you know, today we talk about how to start a relationship with a manager. You know, I, I get pitched for artists that want to be managed by me or people that I know. Um, I want to work with artists as a manager. And sometimes there it isn't necessarily, you don't necessarily know the best way to be approached or to approach an artist. So we talked about that today explicitly. We haven't really discussed that before. And, and Jordan gives some great advice on that. In addition to that, um, Jordan was actually a part of the Entertainment Advisory Committee in 2012, 2016, and also worked with Joe Biden's campaign in 2020. So today we also talk about how music influences politics and what the Entertainment Advisory Committee actually does. Um, you know, they solve interesting problems like how to, you know, they work with campaigns, for example, like the one in 2016, Hillary's, and it kind of helped answer the question, how do we get the music community out to vote? So um, that's a really interesting segment that's a little bit closer to the end. I mean, I think there's a lot, a lot here. Um, he's been in the industry for a long time. He's been successful for a fairly long time. So I'm um, always hearing from people that have been able to be in the industry for as long as he has is, is always great. Uh, what do yeah. you think, Sam? Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. I, I really loved him talking about untapped revenue streams for artists and artist managers when it makes sense to sign with the label. Also really loved and grateful he was able to kind of dive deeper into the discovery and development stories of Toro Moi and Death Cab for Cutie. Um, as well as just some tactics and tips on kind of where to put your focus as an emerging artist to to drive growth. So tons of great stuff to cover in this episode. Special thanks to Jordan Carlin for coming on. Special thanks to Jordan number two for being a great co-host. <laughs> um, but most importantly, thank you to you guys for tuning in, for listening. If you haven't already, I do want to encourage you to check out um, our Patreon. You just go to musicbusiness.com slash community. You can join Discord. We're sharing different resources, different networking opportunities. So uh, check it out if you haven't already. Without any further ado, Mr. Jordan Curland. Cool. Jordan, how's it doing, man? First of all, you got a great name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we spell it the same way, too. So yep. I've seen J-O-R-D-Y-N. People yep. have said J-O-R-D-O-N. You know, I like to say that it's it's the name of King. So welcome, yes. Jordan. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. happy to be here, Jordan. Oh. <laughs> and I'm happy awesome. to be named Jordan um, as well. So, yeah. Yeah, right. It's an it's an honor for the both of us. Yes. It's an honor for the both of us. <laughs> cool. So I guess just to get started, um, to kind of lay the groundwork for the success that you've had in the industry. Um, one thing that I like to ask people that have kind of had success as long as you have is, you know, what is the value set that's afforded you so much success uh, for such a long period of time? And has that changed over time? And, and just kind of at a high level, what do you what do you kind of attribute to it as it pertains to the values that you that you live your life by? Well, I think 
you know, the value set really is just about, you know, working hard and being patient and being really true to your own vision about what and how you want to achieve something. You know, I, I took a more circuitous path than most by moving to San Francisco when I was almost 23. I mean, I moved up here for a job. Um, you know, this was 1995 and the industry was even more concentrated in LA and New York and Nashville at that point than it is today. Um, but I think because of that, it allowed me to really kind of figure out what type of artists I wanted to work with. I wasn't caught up in, you know, this, you know, band that six labels are trying to sign or playing at the Viper Room tonight in LA. And, you know, I just, I was a little bit outside of it. But I, I think, you know, it's ultimately just, you know, there's, I, I say this a lot, there's a lot easier ways to make money than in the music business. So <laughs> I do feel like the reason to be here is because you really want to be here and you really love music. And, um, you know, to me, it's just, I want to work with artists that I really believe in. I want to work with artists that I can listen to 24 hours a day, you know, and the value set is just, you know, working hard and being upfront and honest with, you know, with everyone you're working with. And, you know, it's, I know it might all sound like a little bit of cliche or simple, but it's just the reality of it. You know, it's, it's well, not I asked you a, a kind of vague question on purpose to kind of get a, you know, a, a more vague answer. I, I do think that, you know, the answer to that question has deferred from guest to guest. So um, mm -hmm. the simplicity of it might be because you live through it, but I'm sure our yeah. guests will be, you know, our, our audience will be appreciative to hear it. Yeah. And I have to say, like, I think, you know, in this business, probably in any business to some extent, but really in artist management, it's a lot of luck involved. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I have, you know, I've seen a lot of good people, you know, in the music business who are no longer in the music business because they just didn't get the break, you know, or maybe their tastes didn't line up with the moment in time and they had to, to, to you know, hang it up, so to speak. You know, I feel like for me, you know, it was a struggle for a long time. I mean, it, it's not a long time in the context of my career now, but, you know, when I was going through it, it, it felt like an eternity. And then I finally had the right opportunity at the right time to, to really show what I was capable of. And, you know, so it is, what is that, you know, saying it's, you know, luck meets preparation, you know? Yeah. So I can't remember the rest of the statement of that saying, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. All right. Yeah. And it, I mean, in the spirit of supporting artists, I mean, obviously, um, a lot has like changed uh, throughout mm -hmm. the years. I mean, with regards to like, um, over the course of recent years, and I know even obviously COVID has thrown a pretty interesting and big wrench, but like, when you think about independent artists, because I know you've worked with a, a broad range of artists, but when you think about upstart independent artists already have some level of existing traction, not necessarily starting from scratch, but they're actually trying to go from this point of not just necessarily having this as a hobby, but rather actually having this become a legitimate source of income and setting themselves up for uh, potentially much more uh, of a kind of bigger brand with their artistry. What do you think are some of the most important things to for, for artists and managers to really focus on during those early stages? I mean, I think it's, you know, I think the most important thing is just getting it right. And, you know, times have changed. I mean, not to state the obvious, but obviously things have changed so much in the last, you know, 26, 27 years that I've been doing this. And I think now, you know, you do have the ability to connect so quickly, um, which is good and bad. You know, you've seen it come too early for some artists that weren't really ready. And, um, 
you know, for some artists that were able to grab that mantle at the right time. But I just think it's, you know, get it right. You know, once you're, it's, it's hard to change people's perception once you've, you've, you've tried to get them to pay attention, right? And that goes from, you know, once you're out there trying to get press or once you're, you know, you're trying to play music for a record label or trying to get booked, you know? So, you know, first impressions still matter a lot. You know, just because you can change things on a dime in your SoundCloud page could change, you know, with the second song you post or with the photo you post. It's still like, take time to really develop what you want to be and what you want the world to really, how you want the world to really perceive you. Right. How do you kind of balance um, that first impression with artist growth or, you know, as a music business person uh, with, with business acumen and business growth, you know? Well, I think, you know, it's different. It's just, you know, if you're, if you're talking about if you're an artist trying to get out there, you know, versus if you're, you know, a manager, I, I, you know, with, with an artist, I think, look, everyone, it's hard to be patient. I mean, it's hard for me to be patient at 48 years old and having done this for a long time, it's hard to be patient about aspects Mm -hmm. of my career and life. And, um, you know, I, as an artist, of course, you're confident in what you're doing, you believe in what you're doing and you want people to be able to hear it and see it. But I just, you know, be, be overly confident, go past two steps beyond that point to make sure, um, you know, and, and test, you know, ask people's opinions that you trust and are close to you, you know, like, are you really, are they hearing what they seeing what you're seeing? You know, I think, you know, it's really just, you, you only have, you only have one shot to get it right the first time, right? You know, it doesn't, you don't, you don't only have one shot period, but like once you go send your music to a manager or a record label, like they're going to hear it. They're not going to want to hear a song a month later, you know, then maybe they will. I mean, if right. they hear something promising, they might say, keep you posted, but like, then they're going to want you to come back in a year or two and hear what you've developed. And, you know, I think a lot of mistakes get made, you know, with artists who are, you know, trying to just do too much too fast and you know on a touring side of things it's like develop things locally and, and then regionally don't try to like go on tour three weeks into your career you know try to try to build something you know um where you're at that's going to make make people pay more attention you know like if you have something going on if you're creating um you know if you're creating demand i think with you know um you know, and it's the same thing, obviously, with distributing your, your your music digitally. Like, don't, don't, you know, if you want to start putting songs up to get them out in the world, put them out in the world. But make sure that when you really try to, like, push and try to bring a manager on or a booking agent or attorney or a record label, make sure it's right. really ready. Make sure that, you know, what's going to be interesting to, to people, I mean, obviously, it's going to come down to the quality of the music, but you also want to, like if you show that people are responding to what you're doing, whether that's selling 150 tickets in your hometown, whether you're getting, you know, X amount of streams per month on your SoundCloud, like that's what's gonna, you know, that this data that wasn't available that long ago is now available and people are always going to look at it. Right. And say, well, you know, um, yeah, someone might take a risk and say, well, I see only your songs only been played eight times, but it's really great. I'm going to help you get it out there. But more often than not, people are going to say, well, I've got this artist who has a great song and no one really seems to be responding, but holy, 
you know, this, this artist has, you know, 1.2 million streams on Spotify already, you know, like what's going on here? Why are people reacting to it? You know? Mm -hmm. So I just think as much, as much as you can get done on your own, do it and be sure you're ready to try to explore expanding the team. And, 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 and that's it because, if it doesn't work, and chances are it won't work the first time, but you just don't want to feel like you left anything. You don't want to feel like, mm-hmm. oh, I should have waited three more months till I had that one other song, or I should have waited till I had, you know, more people listening to my music or, you know, wh- whatever it is. So, yeah. yeah, there's one person I actually can think of. Sorry, Sam, I know you have a question. There's one person I can think of in my head literally right now who has had this album supposed to come out for like, five years yeah. <laughs> so, so i totally yep. i totally get yeah. you know we're all like oh sh-. he even showed people the intro and we were like oh man this is great it's the only yeah. thing we've heard in like five years so <laughs> totally totally understand that <laughs> I, mean, I mean yes there is always and i don't know what's going on with that artist but yeah there's also always of course the the possibility of like overthinking or waiting too long in that you know yeah. so you also want to trust the people around you on that too but right. i just think i would err on the side of caution like if i if you're like i'm not sure it's quite ready then you're not then then you're not sure it's ready. Wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, in that when you were kind of speaking through the the areas of focus, I mean, you definitely alluded a lot towards really trying to build leverage, create momentum. Yeah. Um, in that vein, like for artists that are building leverage. Um, when does it make sense to actually sign to a label? I know a lot of the market share of like the Billboard Top 100 is still like very heavily dominated by uh, by major labels, but it, I mean, it definitely does feel like there's a bit of a, a groundswell, um, and there definitely are a bunch of like mid tier artists that are doing very well independently. So I'm curious from your perspective, like at what point does it make sense to actually to to partner, and what are kind of things to be very cautious of when doing so? Well. You know, and I, I have these conversations with, you know, clients or potential clients. I think it really depends on what the goals are, right? Like you're, you know, the type of label you want to be on, if you need a label. Um, you know, obviously we're living in this time where you might not even need to be on a record label to make a living, but you probably, but you, but you do need help in, you know, certain aspects of your career. So it just, it really, it really depends, you know, I mean, obviously there are artists that have not been together very long and they write, you know, a quote unquote hit song and it makes sense for them to be on a, you know, a big record label that can help get that song as much mass exposure as possible. Um, you know, artists that have more modest expectations, you know, or have, or are thinking of themselves of a, of a slower, you know, growth curve, you know, then it's, you know, makes sense to do a short term deal with an independent label that's going to dot the I's and cross the T's in a better way. I mean, I think, you know, major labels are, you know, not great at getting runners to second base. They're great getting runners home from second base. You know, um, indies are really good. You know, this is a huge generalization, obviously, but, you know, indies are really good at, you know, the, the getting, you know, covering covering the bases. Um, you know, so it's like the reason to go to Universal Records, and this is no disrespect to Universal Records, isn't because you gradually want to build your career. You know, the reason to go to Universal Records is because you feel like you have a hit song and Universal Records is as good as anybody of making that song a hit, right? Um, you know, you don't sign to Barsook Records because you think you have a hit song and you want to have money and boots on the ground for, you know, 
to, to get as much mass exposure as possible. So it's really, you know, I'm, I'm not, hope I'm not like talking around the question, but it really has to do with the goals of, of, of an artist. And, you know, um, for some artists, it might be enough to say, hey, I'm going to set up a Patreon page. And if I can make, you know, $1,500 a month, I'm going to live on that. And I'm going to keep woodshedding until I feel like, you know, feel like I need more help. That That's great too. I think you just need to really figure out what, you know, what your career aspirations are and what, and, and what you need in order to reach those aspirations. You know, and it's the same thing with a manager. A lot of artists are really savvy and they don't need a manager, it, you know, in the early days. You know, um, I'm not trying to like talk myself out of a job, but, you know, Def Cab, you know, our biggest client, and they've been our biggest client for almost 18 years, they were self-managed for the first five years of their career, right? So because they all have like, they're all smart and they have good heads on their shoulders and, you know, but they got to a point when they realized that they needed you know, that it was getting too busy and they were entering uncharted territory and they needed, they needed uh, more expertise and they needed help, you know? So. What do you think has contributed? What do you think has contributed to like such a, a long and prosperous relationship too? Cause I know a lot of times like management is um, like, we had another conversation recently with a entrepreneur, Anthony Martini runs a mm-hmm. record label after he had spent years really on the management side of the business. Yeah. And he had spent all this time contributing to these like big moments. And oftentimes too, it's like an art artist, you help him get to this new frontier. And now it's like, okay, now it's time for me to like level up my manager. But for yeah, something yeah. like that, where it's been like an 18 year run, like, yeah. can you speak to how you've been able to really continue to grow together and, and really turn that into the, the partnership it has been? Yeah. I mean, I think I'll, I'll first maybe speak a little generally and then I'll talk more specifically about, you know, my relationship with those guys. I think, you know, generally a manager client relationship should be the closest, most intimate relationship that an artist has with his team, you know? Um, and like all relationships, sometimes they just time out. Sometimes the goals of the artist differ from what the manager what the manager feels like the goals should be or doesn't agree with the direction or the artist wants to go in a direction that the manager is not as suited for. I mean, I've certainly had that come up, you know, with a very long-term client of mine where it just felt like the direction he wanted to go in this, he wasn't getting, I wasn't the best person to support him in that. And, you know, I think, and that happens. Or sometimes people are like, look, I've been talking to this person for 10 years and it feels starting to feel like maybe I need a fresh perspective. Or a manager might say, look, we're not really seeing eye to eye anymore. It feels like I've taken you as far as I can go and you should really get someone who has more energy and perspective. That happens too, you know? Um, but, um, and yeah, of course, when you're in it, you know, it's hard because you never want to like all relationships, it's always hard when they end. Um, but I think, you know, speaking to Def Cab, I think, you know, I'm, re- I'm incredibly lucky. I have worked with these guys who are smart and hardworking and loyal and understand the work that goes into maintaining their career. And um, we see eye to eye, um, you know, as I should. You know, sometimes I try to push them you know, on things that they maybe don't feel like, you know, they're not really feeling. Um, You know, I learn from them sometimes about why those are terrible ideas. But at the end of the day, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, like, they know they can count on me. They know that that I'm honest. They know that I'm hardworking. They know that, you know, um, they are prioritized. 
you know, I feel like all of our clients are prioritized, of course, but like they know that if they ask us to do something, we're going to do it. And they know that they're being represented properly. And that's the other thing. You should make sure when you're bringing on, you know, whether it's a manager, an attorney, or anyone who's speaking on your behalf as an artist, make sure that the way they represent you lines up. You know, you know, some managers are screamers, you know, like, do you want, is that the type of representation you want? It might be, might be fine as long as stuff's getting done. Um, you know, I think, you know, if you, you know, a band like Death Cab wants to know that things are being done on behalf, their behalf, things are being fought for, but that, um, you know, they're also handled respectfully. And so, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, I think, I think it's, um, you know, I, I can't tell you how fortunate I feel that those guys put their faith in me back in 2003 when I really didn't have a lot going on. Um, and they had much bigger managers to work with, you know, they could have worked with and that they've stuck with me through all these, all these years, you know? So, um, you know, and I'm proud of how long that relationship's been. I'm proud of how long we've been managing she and him for 14, going on 14 years now. We've been working with new pornographers for 11 years and even best coast. Now I feel like what we're seven years in, you know, like it's just, we're so fortunate that we have these clients that we enjoy working with and they enjoy working with us, you know? Um, right. You know, because it is easy to to get the grass is always greener syndrome as an artist, right? Like, especially you know when you hit those different tiers of yeah. your career. You know, like when you have your first number one record, you're like, "Oh man, this is crazy. What do I do?" You know, maybe I should get a new manager. You know, you know, maybe I should. That's when things kind of start to change. Is when they kind of reach these different levels. I feel like of of stardom, yeah. and they yeah. there's a lot of and pressure. I, you know. Yeah, and it might be. You know, look, it, it's also possible that a manager, you know isn't growing at the same pace as an artist. Right. You know, and, you know, artists might look and be like, well, why is that artist getting, you know, making so much more money than me? Or why is that artist, you know, having this much more success? But, you know, at the end of the day, the job of the manager is to work with the artist to achieve their vision and try to get their music in front of as many people as possible so those people can vote on their music and ultimately right. decide if they want to buy into it or be a fan or stream it. Um, I think... You know, you can, you know, we could be managing three artists and tell them all to do the exact same things and they do it. And one, one artist winds up really far downhill and the other two are like at the one yard line still. And you know, that's just <laughs> mm -hmm. the one thing we can't control is how people react ultimately. Right. But, you know, our job is to put our artists in a position for people to react to it, you know? Right. Because at the end of the day, it's all, you know, it's all comes down to the court of public opinion. You know, you might right. think you've got something that's going to like blow up, but it doesn't and vice versa. Sometimes we're really surprised by like, like, wow, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> like we knew this was a great <laughs> record, but we didn't expect that this was going to be the result, you know, and I'm, yeah. you know, so, um, right. So I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes sense or that answers the question, but I think, you know, really with Death yeah. Cab, I think the relationship, it's a really good fit. And that's the other thing I think you have to understand is, you know, as a manager and an artist, like I could be a great manager for a certain band and a terrible manager for another band and vice mm -hmm. versa. You can let an artist could look at me like, I want to be at that management company because they manage X, Y, and Z. And you get there and you're like, this is not how I want to be managed. You know, that actually kind of leads me like perfectly into my next question, which is um, it, it kind of doubling down on that, which is 
when does it make sense? Like, what is it discover? What's the perfect discovery process like for an artist and a manager? Because people reach out to to managers to be managed. Managers reach out to artists to manage them. What do you think is the the most ideal way, or or a way that precedes a successful relationship? Um, I, mean, I, yeah, I was I, I was going to say, um, you know, I've had people when I worked in management at my last company send me music repeatedly. I yeah. wasn't really into it. Um, and that was kind of just that relationship over and over again. And I feel like, you know, if if I was into it, then they had to convince me like so hardcore that maybe I wouldn't be the best manager for that artist. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, like would I have heard it if they hadn't have sent it to me directly. And so like what you know, what do you think is the ideal way for that connection to kind of to kind of be built? Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways, but I think, you know, the ideal is if you have you know, the ideal is if there's like the get to know you period, because, you know, mm-hmm. that's changed a lot in this day and age because, because of the internet and because just, you know, there's a lot of managers, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. there always have been, but um, look, there's no school to be an artist manager. You don't have to get a license mm-hmm. to be, you know, an artist manager. So anyone could be a manager, um, which, you know, is good and bad. I feel like, you know, the ideal is if you actually take time as an artist to get to know the person and as a manager to get to know the artist, because, you know, ultimately you want to make sure it's a good personality fit. You want to make sure, like mm. you said earlier, like the, the value set works that, you, you know, like what I said is terms of being represented properly. Um, you know, we don't really have that, you know, it's not, it's, you know, as soon as someone starts getting some attention, there's like a manager pylon, you know, it's like, um, you know, whether it's pitchfork best new music or it's, you know, you're on the pollen playlist on Spotify or, you know, you know, you're, you know, in a TikTok, whatever it is, like all of a sudden <laughs> there's just going to be tons of, or Twitch, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be just a ton of, a ton of uh, managers inquiring. So in the ideal world, you would be able to say, like, hey, this sounds interesting. Let's talk. Let's, I have, you know, like, can I call, like, can I ask you some questions? Can I, you know, like I'm talking to a few managers um, I'd love to be able, you know, I'm not in a rush right now. Um, I'd love mm. to be able to like ask you questions as we go. I mean, there's always challenges in that too, because if things start really, ha- you know, like in this world we live in where things could start really happening quickly, you may need to bring someone on very quickly to navigate it. Um, and also the same thing where it's like, that's not a hard and fast rule. If like you, as an artist, you start talking to a manager that you feel like you connect with out of the gates, like same thing as like going on dates, right? Like you might be like, Holy, like I've gone on 15 dates and like, wow, this one just like really, I feel like I'm connecting to it. Um, so I, I just think ideally take your time, take a breath, get to know them, talk. I'm speaking now from the artist side of it, right? Mm-hmm. Talk to cl- other clients the manager works with. I always offer that up with the potential client and my clients are always happy to talk, you know, because you're not going to know, like you want to be able to, right. you know, talk, you know, so I think, I think, you know, do your research too, you know, um, and that, that would be, you know, that would be my, my main advice is like, I think the best, the best way possible is just, you know, have it, you know, being able to, to build a rapport. I know that's not always possible. Um, and then if you're not able to build a rapport, you know, I don't suggest, you know, signing a contract immediately. Like do a trial mm-hmm. run for both sides, whether, you know, right. 
say like, hey, this is awesome. Let's work under these parameters for the next six, nine months, whatever, um, and everything's going well, then we'll, then we'll formalize it, you know, type thing, which can be tricky because I won't get into the potential landmines of that, but you know, it's just, right. even if it's three months, like, so you're talking on the phone with someone every day and you're exchanging ideas because anyone could give a good meeting or two, you know, and it's easy to wow as a manager, you know, you can wow an artist just by the success of your other artists and giving examples of all this stuff. Um, so I, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like that's, you know, I think patience, that's what I would say. Sorry if you cool. guys just heard my son yell in the background. <laughs> I don't know if you did. Yeah, I think, did, he, did he say dad? <laughs> yeah, my 13 year old son. All good. All good. Yeah. All good. Yeah. We're all, we're all working from home. We all, we all yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, earlier today I had a meeting and, and Amazon rang my doorbell yep. and I had to be like, I need to get it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. I can't tell you how many yeah. like deliveries come and you know, my, and I have a, I, I have a large dog that barks loudly when the doorbell <laughs> rings, you know, it's like, exactly. It's, yeah. it's everybody's used to it. Um, yeah. Cool. I guess before we kind of transition to specific stories about some of the artists you work with, um, I had a conversation with a manager recently and, you know, we kind of were having a conversation about how managers have to find the money where there doesn't seem like there is money. In addition to the main things like, you know, record sales, merchandise, um, you also have to make sure that people are signed for PROs and at least have admin deals for publishing, those sort of things. What do you think are some of the revenue sources that are being underutilized by artist managers or artists themselves that they they could be completely missing at at this moment? Well, I think all of it. I mean, I think especially now you're just seeing like, you know, we've all like, you know, especially the manager, the type of artists I work with, you know, without touring revenue, it's rough, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like, you know, these might not be like, these might be some of the more obvious things, but like even merch stores, like I feel like... Mm -hmm make sure they're up to date. Make sure you're selling merch. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's one, t- even if you're like a developing band, that's one t-shirt and one tote bag, like have something up. You don't know. You might make a hundred bucks a month on it. You know, right. but, um, you know, yes, it is on the publishing side. Make, make sure you're registered with, with performing rights societies. Make sure, you know, um, there are a lot of great, you just pretty straightforward, you know, admin collection publishing companies because like, look, as an artist or as a manager, you can't pick up every nickel or dime that's sitting out there, you know, and it's right. not cost you anything other than the small percentage you're paying them. Um, you know, so I feel like, um, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, and then, you know, be on the lookout for new, you know, new streams of revenue, obviously this whole, like, you know, NFT thing that's going on right now, which, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. you know, a little bit of a bubble, yeah. but like, you know, there are a lot of artists who were really smart and on that early and made a lot of money during a time where artists are not making a lot of money. And now it's becoming a really crowded space very quickly. So just be on the lookout for, for new opportunities. You know, make sure you're registered for sound exchange. You know, that's like an obvious one too, you know, where a lot of artists mm-hmm. overlook that. So um, I just, I mean, that's, I don't know if there's anything new in there, but I just think it's it's it's, you know, easy to get caught up in, you know, the bigger ticket things, but all, all these smaller ones add up to, you know, right. we've certainly seen during the pandemic, you know, some of our artists are doing a better, more brisk web business, you know, online merchandise business than they ever have, you know, because of, 
people are, are not spending their money on going out. They're spending money on things that they could bring to their home. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I love that. And totally agree that I was trying to, to look and make sure that not leaving any of those stones unturned. Um, with that said, when it comes to, I know one of Jordan and I kind of favorite artists or groups on your roster, Tori Moi, um, have some I'm other fans. I'm surprised to hear that for some reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'd really love to hear kind of like similar to Death Cab, I mean, kind of what the journey was in initially crossing paths and then kind of what you feel were some of the core inflection points in their development. Um, well, I think, you know, with, with Chaz, you know, AKA Toro, um, I remember when we started working together, you know, I feel like it was, you know, four or five years ago, which is, which is right. I don't remember exactly what year. Um, Chaz, you know, I was friendly with, you know, he had been living in the Bay Area for a while and we would cross paths. You know, he had played events for the festival that I'm a partner in, Noise Pop. And, um, and we were just friendly. And one of my very close friends was very close with him. Um, he was managed, so I never, at that point, so I never approached him about management. Um, but then when he was amicably, amicably parting ways with his manager, his manager actually called me and asked me to, if I would meet with him. You know, and that's how we started working together. And, you know, we had a bit of a foundation of friendship, but not much. I mean, we knew, you know, he had actually been to my house once before for a photo shoot, like my friend shot photos of him here. So he kind of knew me, like knew <laughs> my tastes and, you know, it's an interesting thing. And I think that may have been- You said he shot a photo shoot at your house? Yeah. So our <laughs> mutual close friend is a photographer and he did f- shot photos at my house for something. And <laughs> I just think that's funny because, you know, as you're getting to know your artists, I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, we knew each other. He shot a photo shoot at my house, but like, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just I wasn't here. I wasn't even here when oh, they did wow. it. I was out of town. It's like, cool, do it. You know, like, so he knew my tastes. He knew that, like, my interests, you know, he knew I had, like, he thumbed through my record collection. He saw the art hanging on my walls. Like, you know, I think that, you know, that had an impact on him because he's someone who is, you know, beyond just an artist, like just a musician, you know, he creates visual art, you know, and he knew that I have a strong interest in visual art as well. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that was kind of how it all came together. And, you know, at the time that we started working with him, you know, he, his career had, you know, plateaued a little bit and he was finishing up or about to release Boo Boo, which is a beautiful record, but not one that he wanted to tour on. So it wasn't like, you know, I'd been a fan for a long time and I felt, saw the, you know, um, it wasn't the most obvious moment. You're like, okay, you, you know, I start working with an artist who's not going to be touring. You're going to work on a record. And, you know, but it just, I felt like, and he was saying then that he really was more interested at that point, focusing on his visual art. Um, And he, um, he, you know, I felt like, cool, you know, that's fine. Great. Do what you want to do. At some point you're going to want to tour again. And, I also think like scarcity creates demand. So it's not the worst thing in the world. If you're going to not tour this record, it'll just be that much more impactful when you did tour, do tour. And that was the case. I mean, you know, and then he just kind of, you know, the next record was, you know, he continued to be very active in aspects of his career. He did some DJing. He, he, um, you know, did some press. He was doing art shows. He was, you know, present. And then, you know, Outer Peace came out and it was the right, you know, 
it's a great record at, at the right time. Yeah. And really, really, you know, not only reengaged some fans who maybe peeled off, but also brought in a whole new slew of fans. You know, I will say, um, I moved to New York in 2012. And at the time I listened to so many details a lot. Yeah. So yeah. when I hear that song, it reminds me of moving to New York City. So th- there aren't there yeah. aren't a lot of artists that have nestled themselves into my into my uh, memories like that. But so many details is one of them, and uh, yeah. so is high living. Both yeah. both of those cool. together kind of of taking this step from Baltimore to go to New York. So I figured I would share that as well. Oh, but you know that's 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 what the that's what the best music does, in my opinion. You know, absolutely. Uh, you know, not to not to move off of Toro. But, um, you know, when the Postal Service did the reunion tour in 2013, um, you know, they'd only put out one record, Give Up, in 2003. And, you know, no one really understood, including myself at times, to be honest, like, why did they make a follow-up record? I mean, the first one sold a million copies, right? Like, it was such a, like, this accident of, beautiful accident that happened. Um, You know, a record that was made for $5,000 on Sub Pop sold a million copies, right? And, but... I certainly, you know, Ben, you know, who's lead singer Postal Service at Death Cab, for people who don't know, Ben always felt like he didn't want to release another record unless he felt like they could top the first one. Um, totally great and, and makes sense. And I think seeing that tour and seeing people at those shows and seeing how that record existed in a, a, in a time capsule for them, like what you're saying about, you know, those songs correspond to you moving to New York. Because the Postal Service never released anything else, you know, District Sleeps Alone Tonight or Nothing Better or Such Great Heights, like those are songs people are listening to going to prom or graduating from college or, you know, it's just that it's, it, it, it all made sense to me. Like some, some records, you know, sometimes you, one is enough. Um, so anyway, that was a little, little bit of a diversion from it. But when you said that about, about those Toro songs, it made me think of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, with Chaz, he's such a, he's, a, I mean, all of our artists are incredible artists and interesting, but Chaz is really interesting because everything he does informs his music and vice versa. And um, so, you know, his visual art informs what he's doing creatively. And he really thinks about his releases, you know, in that way, you know, he'll have a new record, you know, sometime in the next year, let's say. And, um, you know, he was already thinking about the visual side of it and the marketing side of it before he even finished the record, you know, it was kind of coming to mind for him. Um, and that, and that's really exciting. And, you know, he, he has a lot of confidence in his, you know, he, he wants to be successful and he wants to keep growing, but he has a lot of confidence. He turns down a lot of opportunities, you know, if he doesn't feel like it's the right time. And, you know, certainly he's fortunate because he's, making a nice living and he's, you know, had a, a good amount of success that he, he can do that. But there's a lot of opportunities that other artists wouldn't turn down, but he does because he just doesn't feel like it's the right moment or it's not on brand or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, speaking of kind of creating moments, I mean, it was interesting, I think, um, and also staying on brand. I mean, there was the, the Nike shoe collab, which I thought was yeah. a really interesting and awesome activation. This is actually too coming from one of our, uh, a listener in front of the podcast, Drew Nagda, who's actually named his dog Toro. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. Oh. So, I mean, from that perspective, I mean, his question is really diving into how did that 
kind of collab come about? Um, and what were some of the decisions that were made kind of along the way to ensure that it did do justice to his artistic integrity? And was that a, a bit of a battle or did they make that process very no, easy? I mean, I'd be lying if I could. I mean, we weren't, you know, that came, they reached out, you know, and, um, you know, and then, you know, we were involved in the initial phase of that, of that deal. And then Chaz really in his design studio, cause he's a small design studio in Oakland. They just ran point with the collaboration. So it wasn't a, you know, but there were no issues, you know, mm-hmm. it was, I think, you know, they knew who he was as an artist and he explained his vision to them before he got going and, and it worked out really well. I thought that was, the collaboration was beautiful too. I really, you know, he did a Vans collaboration um, last year as well that mm-hmm. I thought was really great, you know? So, um, you know, I think he's, 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 he definitely understands that, you know, like balancing, you know, his vision, his artistic vision with what people respond to from him. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he just did a big merch drop this week on the Toro site, you know, and it's all pretty awesome stuff, you know, that's awesome. So we're going to, our turn to do a big tangent, but on the side of uh, what's it called politics, I know you've been very involved politically. Um, I think from our perspective, I'm, I'm personally, and I think Jordan, I mean, we've probably resonated on this, this perspective a little bit too, but I mean, one thing for me that is very exciting to me is the, the cultural influence that that art, artists and music have, right? I think like whether or not people are, I mean, they are truly like tastemakers of a lot of cultural values and preferences and a lot of people are looking up to them. So a lot of the, the values that people are taking as their own are oftentimes really just kind of things that have been endorsed by the people they look up to. From your perspective, what do you feel are some of the ways in which artists and the music industry as a whole can um, drive change and drive positive change politically and societally? Well, I, I feel like we just saw it. You know, I think it worked, you know, in this. I mean, look, we could sit here saying it didn't work if Trump had won, right? But I think that, um, you know, it's I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. I mean, artists have a big, bigger megaphone than ever right now because of their socials, right? And because of, you know, the direct communication with fans. And oh, granted, you know, there's so much chatter and noise out there, but you know, especially during the pandemic, you have your fans at home, basically living on screens. It, it, you know, it was, you know, you can get your point across. And I think that um, what really impressed me about, you know, the artists, my clients, which I could speak most about is like how informed they were and how, what they knew, how, what they were comfortable doing you know, um, and how they wanted to use their voice. Um, and I found that, you know, on, you know, with, with the projects I've done over the years around elections, it's often been about, you know, obviously wanting to have an impact, but what's, you know, how do you, what's the low barrier of entry for artists to get in? Because I think getting involved with politics for an artist, especially for the first time can be very intimidating right? So don't know how to do it. You're worried about what the blowback's going to be. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, this isn't really answering your question, but, and then I will answer your question. I think that, um, you know, artists, 
I'm not going to say artists have a responsibility to stand up for their ideals or um, talk about politics or talk about social issues. I respect those that do, and I respect those that, you know, that make the choice that they don't want to. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I feel like if you have a platform, you should use it. That's my personal opinion, but I have artists who chose to sit out, you know, and not because they didn't have strong opinions, but just they weren't comfortable. And um, I think it, I think it's a process. So um, what what really was, you know, wonderful to me about this election cycle is how many did step up, right? Like that had a lot to lose, you know, you're not, you know, whether you're a fan or not, like Billie Eilish and Taylor Swift have a lot more to potentially lose than, you know, most artists because their fans are not obviously all Democrats and they went pretty hard for lobbying for Biden and that's great. And that's what you want. And that's, you know, um, it's just, we're in this period of time. And I think this is what happened with Trump as our president. It's like politics has become culture and vice versa. And certainly with everything that happened last year, you know, with the racist president in office, you know, everything that happened with, you know, with Black Lives Matter, like everyone, I, I was impressed how people stepped up because when I started talking to people, managers and artists in April, when it was clear that Biden was going to be our president-elect, a lot of people were saying they were going to be supportive of getting out the vote, but they were not particularly going to be vocal about supporting Joe Biden. But I think, and I, you know, I hoped, and you kind of see this, like seen it before, but as we got closer to the election, artists, you know, the stakes become more clear and artists, you know, and, and artists for the most part stepped up and that was great. Um, you know, and I think whether it's, whether your comfort level is, you know, posting a get out the vote, sticker on your Instagram story, or it's, you know, writing an op-ed or it's talking to your fans, like whatever you're comfortable doing is great, you know, but at the end of the day, like young people have not been participating in the political process enough. And I think now what we're seeing, and I think that was the silver lining. I, I know I'm rambling. Sorry, guys. The silver lining Trump oh. being elected to me in 2016 was, I felt like, it was an opportunity for young people to really understand the stakes of, of elections and that each vote does count, right? And I feel like that happened, you know? Other things happened too, terrible things happened that, you know, upped the ante. Um, but now I feel like, and, and I hope that we don't slide into, because we now have a, a democratic president, et cetera, how we don't all like slide, slide into, it's okay that we're all taking a break, you know, everyone's taking a break right now, they need to take a break and taking a deep breath, but, we can't slide back into thinking that our voices don't matter and that voting isn't important because we just saw that it is. And the reality is, mm -hmm. you know, without, with, without COVID, you know, without George Floyd, without, you know, Brianna, without it, on and on and on, like Trump's reelected. Like that's the, the rub right. here, right? Like that guy right. would have walked into a second term, you know, right. he almost won with all that. So, I mean, it's just, it just shows how, you know, if we really want to see change in this country, how important it is for us all to be engaged. I don't know. Right. Long rambling answer. And oh, artists, good. okay. And artists' role in that is artists shape culture. At the end of the day, artists have the right. ability to engage. They have the ability to, 
to, you know, make people think about things and they have a larger platform than most. And, um, and most artists, you know, no disrespect to actors at all, but like, you know, look, I mean, a lot of artists, you know, if, if Beyonce says something, if Bruce Springsteen says something, it's going to carry more weight than Brad Pitt saying something, you know, it just, right. It just, so. Right. Very, very long just, answer when I don't I, even know I feel like, the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. You do. I, yeah. I feel like music just invades the psyche in a different way than like film and TV does, yeah. you know, yeah. like I didn't, I didn't watch him. I don't watch a movie every time. Like I didn't watch a movie after I got back from prom, but I definitely listened to music on the way there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's just different. Um, yeah. Speaking of, I kind of want to go over what your personal relationship was with politics when you were part of the um, Entertainment Advisory Committee and what that actually is, what's the process of being chosen, and kind of yeah. like the responsibilities well, you had there. Um, you know, with the, the the one in 2012, which was, you know, Barack Obama's second term, I, I was invited. I, I had, um, you know, a former manager was working for the Obama campaign and I, and who I was friends with. And I believe that's how I got invited because of my past political work. You know, I had been involved in politics starting in 2004, um, not to bore everyone with the details of that, but, you know, since 2004, I've been doing these projects with each presidential election cycle with um, the author Dave Eggers and I had been doing projects. And I think that was part of it is, you know, knew that um, I had been politically active and, you know, you want to round out the committee with different types of managers, with different relationships. So, um, you know, really the role is you, you're there as a resource. It's almost like being an advisory board of a, of a company. Like you might have not, you might get nothing for, might do nothing for three months. And then all of a sudden you get a call of like, Hey, we're trying to get in touch with Pearl Jam and we don't have a great relationship with management. Do you mind calling? you know, making an intro or, hey, what do you think of this idea? We're trying to, you know, we've got a, you know, we've got a fundraiser or a rally in Boulder, Colorado. You know, what band do you think would be appropriate for it? You know, it could be that type of thing. It could be more strategy of like, you know, we're having a hard time. And this happened in 2012. Um, we're having a hard time creating urgency within the music community around the election. And, um, that was one of the things we tried to help solve. And, you know, that's super cool. Them. That's yeah. super cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it depends. And, you know, Hillary's in 2016 was, you know, I think I got invited by my past work and um, it's kind of the same, you know, you're kind of, um, you know, you, you, uh, I, I think there were some pretty, you know, and I've had these conversations with Hillary's staff and I was able to have these conversations with, you know, with Biden's team, because there were some of the same people, like mistakes I thought were made in 2016 about not being inclusive enough, um, thinking that like, all you need is Sean Mendez and Katy Perry, you know, like, I think it's, you know, you have to be, it's really important to include young artists and artists across the spectrum who maybe have a fraction of the fan base, but, you know, people really look at them as, as, as leaders. So, um, that was it, you know, I mean, that's really it, you know, as far as it, it's really, it's, it's an honor to serve on both of those. Um, yeah. I know. imagine that's very fulfilling work. It is. But you know, the other side of it is like, I feel like any of the work that I've done outside of the actual campaigns have actually look, been more impactful. Like, look, we raised, you know, projects I worked on raised 
three quarters of a million dollars this last election cycle. You know, they weren't affiliated with the campaigns. You know, mm -hmm. they were certainly pro Biden and pro get out the vote. But, you know, there's also when you're when you are working with a campaign, you are up against um, you are up against, um, you know, bandwidth issues like what they can actually do and not do like what they're capable of doing. And everything has to be vetted too. So it can be a really mm -hmm. long, arduous process. You could start a conversation like the Team Joe Sings thing we did. That conversation started in June. We didn't launch it until August. <laughs> you know? So, right. and then at the time we launched it, it was so, the campaign was so busy, it was hard to get attention from the digital team. So it wasn't, we didn't feel like it was being accurate, you know, like it wasn't being as promoted as well as it could be. So you're just, you know, those are the things you're going to run up against if you're dealing with a campaign because a campaign has much, you know, frankly, much bigger fish to fry. Then, you know, right. making sure that, you know, making sure that X artist's performance is being promoted on the socials. So, right. so that, cool. That, yeah. That's awesome. Just kind of wanted to definitely go, go through that a little bit uh, for people that weren't aware that being involved in politics and music in the way that you have so explicitly is, a, is an option. So thank you for going through that. Mm -hmm. um, want to thank you for, for coming on to the podcast today. You know, um, you know, I told you before the episode that we didn't do a lot of your history justice and I, I still feel that way because I still want to keep going, but uh, you know, very glad that we could get, get through uh, management talk, politics talk um, and uh, you know, labels and and such so you know super super glad that you were able to come out and and provide insight on those fields for us yeah well thank you so much for having me and and um hopefully i know i talked a lot but um hopefully it was insightful it's all good. we 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 are interviewing people yeah. <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> i know but you know sitting here like drinking coffee good. just stuck in my home talking so um <laughs> but um you know Sweet. yeah hopefully it was helpful and i really appreciate I appreciate what you guys are doing and giving giving people the opportunity to learn about this business because it can it can seem like I know even as you know when I was trying to get into it it just you know seems like can can seem like there's there's you know a big a big uh, curtain that needs to be pulled back yeah and really exactly trying to get in and you know, the last thing I'll kind of say to that end is you know I didn't have any relationships in the music business before I started I don't have any family I didn't have any there was no nepotism so I just mm -hmm. kind of figured out this is what I wanted to do and tried to do it, you know, by interning and writing articles about it and meeting people and booking shows on campus. And, you know, it is, I know it can be intimidating, but it's all possible, you know, like you just have to find your way in. Right. Right. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. Really appreciate the time today, man. Keep up the great work. Yeah. Thank you guys. Really appreciate you having me on again. And uh, having me on for the first time, but thank well, you. we'll bring you back, <laughs> man. We'll bring you back. I'm happy to come back. Let me know. Yeah, All right. Serious. Thank <laughs> you, man. Damn. Well, really enjoyed that episode with Jordan Curlins. Uh, also, somewhat enjoyed the other Jordan. No, I'm playing Jordan. I, I enjoyed your, your presence and, and co hosting as well, man. Um, but yeah, no, I think Jordan Curlins uh, has accomplished a lot. Jordan Williams and I were talking about this uh, kind of after, but the notion of um, how there's just this side of he has a unique temperament about how he carries himself. He's obviously a very successful person, but he's not this like loud ass Sam Heisel. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's he's a, a very like calm, uh, and and I think I could very easily see how that actually is provides a very nice. Um, relief and, and sense of support and guidance and care to the artists on his roster. Um, so that actually kind of stood out to me on the other end of this episode. What do you think, Jordan? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like like you said earlier, is his temperament just it goes to show how you know I, f- I feel like there's confidence and experience, and that's how you get to that. You know, when I when I first joined the music industry, when I was, you know, as an intern, I was I was 19, but working full time, I was 22. And you know, me and you both definitely drank the Kool Aid of being spazzes <laughs> and and uh, being super hyped for no reason and. And getting stress and anxiety just because. Um, and he spoke with a lot of confidence and a lot of poise and a lot of grace. And it's really awesome also to see him follow his passions outside of music and incorporate that into his career. Um, you know, working on campaigns um, almost as a music consultant. I think that's I think that's really awesome. And I think hopefully it'll give people inspiration to uh, you know do the same with with other hobbies and, and with other with other passions that they can bring into their careers in music. Yeah. Totally. Love it. Um, well, thank you as always, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate you. Hope y'all out there getting it. The bag ain't gonna get itself. Um, so, but uh, on that note, uh, we out. We'll talk soon. <laughs>